Welcome to Sports Central, I'm Rick Drewer. There's no Phil Fechner, absent without leave, but I guess I've chosen to uh, go solo because I believe that there is just so much sport that's happened in the last 10 days or so that, uh, as they say in the good books, the show must go on, which is obviously what they're also doing at the Circus Rio after the two horrific uh, trapeze and motorbike accidents, but their show goes on, so I guess we should do the same thing. First thing I think I make mention of is Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide, after uh, an incredible second half in the showdown, uh, fronted up, uh, Phil and I went to the uh, Brisbane game and putting it bluntly, it was simply disgraceful uh, to run out and uh, uh, aim at and uh, terrorise uh, Neil uh, before the first whistle had even sounded was uh, not only disgraceful, but in my opinion, uh, admitting that uh, the coaching staff didn't believe that Port Adelaide were good enough to win the game fairly, so we'll attempt to do it unfairly. Uh, and that's that's the way footy was played in the 1940s or something. I mean, it just, it's crazy. And um, gee whiz, it, it makes you wonder why Port Adelaide aren't going well. Perhaps it all rests with the uh, coaching staff. Um, but uh, there was an easy way to break the win-loss, win-loss, win-loss uh, scenario that Port Adelaide have done, uh, had all season, or for most of the season. They simply headed to Melbourne and got knocked off by Richmond. Um, I only saw very little of the game, but it does seem to me that Port played, inverted commas, reasonably well. To me, Richmond are the side looking very good to possibly win another premiership this year. Uh, the great advantage they have is that they're getting back all their very good players that have spent a long time injured. Now, given that they've recovered from their injuries, we're talking about the Jack Rewalts, the Trent Kotchkins and so forth. Um, the fact is that they are fresh. They haven't been battered because they've been out of action for a while. And that's going to be a huge advantage to them, given that they're going to get match fit uh, in the next last few rounds before they go into the finals. And I reckon they're looking very good. Port Adelaide um, played pretty well, but it's the same story that I think we've been talking about all season long. The problem with Port Adelaide is simply their lack of disposal skills. And we're talking about even the better players the Bokes and the Wines and the Pow Peppers, right? They do not hit bodies. And um, I, I've i read that Port had 84 turnovers against Richmond. Well, even though they played reasonably well, you're never going to win a game of football, let alone against a good side, if you turn the ball over 84 times. Um, so um, I cannot imagine in the wildest dreams that they could beat uh, GWS next week at Adelaide Oval. Um, as for the Crows, well, the second half against Essendon was again a fade-out, just like in the showdown, and you can't imagine an AFL side being unfit, but uh, whether it's fit to tolerate four quarters of, of tough football, um, you now have to question the Crows in relation to that, uh, I believe, because uh, it's happening too often. And um, I think I heard somebody on the radio 
ask whether anybody had found Tex Walker, <coughs> excuse me, and um, Eddie, uh, because yet again in big games they went missing in that second half. Uh, and I think they've got to review their list. I can't imagine either of them making a, the eight. Adelaide might sneak in. Uh, can't imagine Port doing that. So uh, there's a bit of AFL for you. Um, now, let's have a look at a couple of other sensational sporting events. The men's cricket uh, one-day international final, obviously, as we all know, won by England, uh, just over New Zealand on a count back. Now, I have no criticism with that result because the fact is that that's what all the teams entering the competition went into, knowing, or at least... Uh, perhaps knowing that if it came down to a count back, it would be on fours, the most fours scored. Well, I can't imagine why or whoever wrote that rule in the first place. I reckon there's a thousand different rules that you could come up with to separate them. Uh, probably the best one would be to play an extra over and even another over. If, if you've had a competition that's run a month and you can't afford to bowl a couple of extra overs to separate the two finalists at the end, then I'm not sure what's going on. Um, so I think they've got to review that and look at it. Uh, my suggestion would be if you don't want to go to over after over until you get... You can't imagine too many overs before somebody's going to score one more run than the other side. If you don't want to go to that, though, I would suggest perhaps that you review in the 50 over innings the team that lost the least number of wickets would win the game. Now, in that case, um, New Zealand would have won the game because they got to their score with only eight wickets down and England were all out. But anyway, they were the rules that existed. That's the way it should happen. The other sort of contentious issue was, in fact, the uh, four overthrows plus runs scored when Stokes hit the ball. Now, it let's get it clear, it had nothing to do with the ultimate decision of who won the game but it is I think a rule where there should be a lot of long lunches at Lords to completely rewrite that rule. Um, I'll admit I'm a qualified and still active umpire and I didn't know the rule and I've, I've got a feeling that no one objected to the decision of the umpires at the time because no one knew the rule there either. The umpires, the players, the uh, coaching staff, the spectators. And um, I think you've got to dismiss the concept of what happened if in relation to the ball hitting Stokes' bat and ricocheting off for four. Whether, let, let's take Stokes and the bat out of the equation. Um, even if the fielders picked up the ball, um, thrown it back towards the pitch, uh, misses everything, goes to the fence for four runs. There's unquestionably uh, the four overthrow runs count. There is no doubt about that. Um, if we go back to Stokes for a moment, he didn't run off his line. All he did was dive to try and make his crease. And so that was completely accidental. And so it, in that scenario, it would have also counted for four. Where the rule is seemingly totally and utterly crazy and virtually impossible to interpret is that we've all now discovered that unless the batsmen have crossed in attempting 
either the first or the second run. In this case, it was the second run. Um, unless they've crossed, at the time the ball is thrown, that run, even if it's completed, does not count. So technically, according to what I saw on television, the umpire should have only signalled five instead of six. And in fact, the batsman should have returned um, to the crease from which they were running, which would mean that Stokes would have gone to the non-striker's end. Now, that's <clears throat> not that's just the way it was. I just think the, sim that, uh, simply think that you cannot, even at test level, unless you do a review, how umpires are meant to judge whether um, players have made their crease in turning, uh, have, a, have run fairly, fieldsmen fielding fairly, then trying to work out at the point of throwing whether they've crossed or not is basically a human impossibility. And so not only, uh, perhaps the only way out would be a replay when they're at a test match or first class venue where there is television, uh, you wouldn't even be able to say that's going to happen at Sheffield Shield level, let alone um, district league country cricket. And so the easiest way, I believe, is to rewrite the rule, um, possibly suggesting that um, if the batsmen complete the run, it doesn't matter at what point they crossed. But I haven't thought about it deeply enough, but it's got to be fixed up because for the poor old umpires, it's it's quite it's virtually impossible to be able to carry out effectively and make a decision on the rules as it stands at the moment. It's got to be rewritten. The World Netball Championships. How amazingly close! New Zealand defeats Australia uh, in the final. Uh, Australia defeats South Africa by one goal in the semi-final. New Zealand and uh, defeats England uh, by a minor margin. Uh, and yet again, Australia plays New Zealand in the grand final, and this time New Zealand won, reversing the decision of last time. Uh, absolutely incredible. Speaking of New Zealand, I just find it quite incredible that uh, the men have just made the uh, one-day international cricket final. The women have just won the Netball World Championships. Undoubtedly, New Zealand are the World Rugby Champions, and they, here's a proposal, I would suggest that per head of population, surely New Zealand must be the most successful sporting nation on the planet. Uh, they are so remarkably good. I think there's probably more people uh, living in Bondi, New Zealanders living in Bondi than there are in the whole of New Zealand. And certainly um, they bat <laughs> well above their weight in all sporting competitions considering the number of people they've got. Next is, uh, I think, to talk about briefly, is the coaching situation in the AFL. Um, it seems as if you want to win a game, the easiest thing to do is fire your coach. So if Port need to win a game, the best thing they can do is fire, uh, <laughs> fire Ken Hinckley, and uh, then we're guaranteed. If you look at North Melbourne, Carlton and St Kilda, North Melbourne dumped Brad Scott and won next week. Carlton dumped Brenton Bolton, won next week. St Kilda dumped Alan Richardson and win next week. So Port have got a solution to the problem. And speaking of, of 
coaches and dumping them, then you've got to replace them. And here's an interesting statistic for you that uh, I'm very concerned about that seemingly, um, particularly uh, the Carlton and St Kilda jobs, it would seem as if Reese Shaw may get the North Melbourne job, um, that there's all these, as it were, oldies putting their hand up to apply for the position. Uh, the likes of Michael Voss and Brett Ratton, you know, the recycling of coaches. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting that you are totally written off if you have been a failed coach, but in fact, they, they both of them have been failed coaches. And an interesting statistic is that the coaches of the last eight premiership winning sides in the AFL have all been men who were first-time AFL coaches when they took up the role. So what we're really saying is that a recycled coach, that is, one who's come back from having been uh, a, an AFL coach previously and been reappointed, have none of them have won a grand final out of the last eight that have been played. Now, I... I might suggest that that's a pretty fair comment uh, or assessment of where it should be. I think, you know, it's, it's time in all sport, more often than not, to uh, blood fresh people with new ideas, fresh ideas, uh, and, and a bit of uh, dancing to a different tune than people who've been around. It almost, dare I suggest, reeks of the boys club in the recycling of uh, of coaches that way um so uh yeah i'd like to think that new guys might get a get a go i reckon uh we'd better have before we run out of time completely a uh a look at the bl and g um Freeling, I, I was at the game between Freeling and South Gawler last week and uh, Freeling comfortably won by five goals and leapfrogged South, who'd made themselves into the top four the week before, a one-week wonder, and Freeling have taken their spot in the top four. Um, Scott Dutchke, Cocky Koshel, uh, they were just so good in creating uh, opportunities for the Freeling side. And in fact, realistically, Freeling probably should have won by even more than they did. Um, with all due respect to South Gawler, uh, they, they've got a good list and they look, you know, promising so often and yet so often they uh, deliver under par uh, and um, I think that's probably the, the theme of their season so far, that they really should have performed far better. Uh, and while we're on the BL and G, I think Tanunda and Anguston are so far ahead of the rest, it does not matter. They're the outstanding two teams. I cannot think for a moment that either Newry, Freeling, South or Barossa will really challenge them for the grand final spots. To be honest, I think that uh, the, the, there's, there's a five this year and those uh, third, fourth and fifth sides are there to make up the numbers uh, and play it out that way. Uh, my um, my tip for this week is that Newry will beat Kapunda, Tanunda to beat Freeling, Gawler Central uh, to beat Williston, and Ango to beat Barossa. 
Um, and while we're talking local stuff, it was good to see the Barossa Council uh, rename and the share walking and bike track, the Barossa Trail, after removing uh, Jack Bobridge's name from it. Uh, to be sure, to, to be honest, I'm not sure why it was called after Jack in the first place. I mean, yes, he did pretty well in the Olympics, but in 50 years' time, I doubt whether anyone would recall who he was. And it would seem to me that if we're promoting the Barossa and all parts of it, then the Barossa Trail would have been the most appropriate name in the first place. Uh, I think I mentioned last week, now all we need is the Adelaide City Council to uh, follow suit and to get rid of and remove all references to Lance Armstrong that are still in the Adelaide Park lands. And he was even awarded the keys of the city, which uh, uh, I think we could at least ask for back. And failing that, uh, if that doesn't work, then perhaps we ought to change the locks. Uh, and uh, did you hear about the Port that Port Adelaide are making a TV documentary? And it's to be called The Best of 2015 to 2019. Speculation is that it will only run the same time as the commercial. So until next week, this is Rick and there's no Phil. Bye.